really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. As you have undoubtedly surmised by now, this is not your weekly episode, but it is yet another bonus episode, this time a two-parter a double freejack MLR preview slash NPC slash God knows what else episode. Really fun stuff. We start off with Mike Rogers, assistant coach of the freejacks and followed up with Jason Patras, our brand new fly half. Um, I apologize right off the bat, the beginning of the audio for the, the Mike Rogers interview, not great. Um, you can make it out, but it's, it's, it's not great, but it does get better pretty quickly. And the insights the man has just fantastic. I really uh, hope you managed to listen to both pieces and really enjoy it. We're getting so close to the MLR season and I, for one, am psyched. Let's get to it. Okay, my friends, this bonus episode is, as you know, a two-parter right now. We're sitting down for a chat with senior assistant coach and defensive specialist, Mr. Mike Rogers. Mike, welcome to the show, and how the heck are you? Uh, hey, Dave. I mean, I'm really good. It's great to be back in Boston. Um, the weather gods have been very kind to us here, uh, unlike my homeland in New Zealand, where we've had a crazy summer of weather with um, some cyclones and stuff that have come through, which... Um, It'd be really tough for the people back home, but um, man, I'm enjoying being here. And um, and a ter terrible flooding. Life. I think is it terrible flooding, and is it Taranaki where they're having some real serious issues? Um, yeah, Hawkes Bay, Bay of Pliny, which is where I'm from, uh, Northland, Auckland. And so we've had a really funny summer where we've had four weather systems come through. We'd normally get maybe one a year, and the last two in particular have been the two worst for the last twenty or so years. So. Um, really unusual, unusual weather for summertime. Like last time, last this time last year, I was sitting here. There was three or four foot of snow outside. It was freezing cold, and back home, everybody was on the beach. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely been much better to be in Boston uh, this time around. <laughs> it's gonna be like sixty something on Thursday. I heard so. Man, I don't know how good is that? It be tops off for sure. Um, so obviously very excited to have you here. Um, obviously I'm also very excited. The new season in the MLR starts this weekend, um, in honor of the new look free Jacks and of your first ever appearance on the show. I'd like to call this series of questions, the starting 15. It's just, you know, 15 often unrelated questions covering a, a range of topics that just kind of have me curious. Uh, how are you feeling? You think you're ready to give it a whack? And I'm really keen. However, um, if the Jacks Rangers questions are anything to go by, um, I'm a little bit apprehensive, but man, I'm sure you're going to do a great job. Uh, it's, it's, it'll be very different. Uh, Phil and I are, are good friends, but we have a very different approach, too, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't do the one word association, and I, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to say huzzah or anything. <laughs> I don't mind saying huzzah. It's when he asked me to do a um, Boston accent when I really struggle. 
because there's a multitude of Boston accents as well, and I'm not very good at any of them. So, man, I'm happy for a huzzah, but um, there's not going to be any Boston accents, I don't think. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that segment. He did do that to you. Oh, man. <laughs> so I want to kick us off. Uh, I want to start with some positives heading into this new season. Um, a friend of the pod who is a Wales supporter literally just reached out to me today to ask if I was going to be doing a Major League Rugby-centered podcast anytime soon. As you probably, you may or may not know, things in Wales are a bit of a dumpster fire rugby-wise right now. Um, I don't know if you saw, I don't know if you follow any such things, but today the, some pl- the players are talking about striking and not even showing up to play for their the next round in Six Nations against England. I mean, I can't, can you even imagine? Mate, it's interesting that you say that because I'm actually, um, my grandmother was Welsh and I have a real affinity with the Welsh people. And, um, you know, there's lots of problems there with rugby at the moment. And I really feel for them because there's no doubt that the passion, you know, in, in the valleys in particular is really strong for rugby. And, you know, I can understand why people are upset about how the team's going. They're probably upset about how the structure of rugby has gone in the country over the last 10 years. Like their professional teams aren't really competitive anymore. There's lots of things like the, I think the national team's struggles are just a you know, consequence of stuff that's been happening over the last 10 years. And I really feel for them because it's a proud rugby nation. Um, I'll never forget at the Rugby World Cup in 2011, I was at a bar the night before the Welsh played the French in the semi-final. The Welsh were the favourites going into that game. Sam Warburton got sent off, I think, in about the first 20 minutes. But just the passion of the people was something that's unmatched, I think. And um, I can imagine how how hard it is for them at the moment. And well, I really feel for them because rugby's got pride of place in Wales. It's other than New Zealand and, and maybe South Africa, the only places where it's kind of number one. So I think we need to be doing what we can. I never thought I would see things get to the, the point they are today. It seems totally insane. Um, so in that vein, I'm hoping that you can give us three things that we should all be looking forward to in major league rugby this season. What do you foresee happening over the next several months? That's going to put smiles on the faces of fans all over the world. Uh, I think the number one thing thing for me, which is why I'm really motivated about coaching here is the diversity of the team. So, and and it is actually really reflective of two things. America is a diverse country and it, it really opened my eyes when I got here. Um, I didn't understand how different every place was culturally, geographically, et cetera. And I think that's reflected in the way that the teams play and, and probably a little bit of influence around coaches that are there. So, you know, you've got teams that are playing with a very uh, South American approach. So Dallas this year, real big Argentinian influence there. We were in Houston last week and, and they certainly play with a, uh, um, a South African approach. Chicago is a bit of an Australian team. We're a bit of a mix. And um, the great thing about that is the way that the game's played is different across all those teams. And that's really different to New Zealand where everybody's virtually doing the same stuff, um, but maybe having a little bit of a slight um, slight tweak on it. So that's one thing that's really motivating is to see how those teams go. Chicago and Dallas are going to be very different this year, which I think is cool. Um, <clears throat> the second thing is I think the, the strength of the league is growing every year. Teams are getting way more organised. Teams are investing money in the right places like facilities and coaching and infrastructure. And the level of professionalism, like we're down in Houston, like a world-class facility, great setup. Um, you know, that's becoming more of the norm now um, that that the 
you know, the, the setups of each team are, are really are taking it to another level. And I think the, the, the net result of that will be better rugby, which, which is great. And then, and then the third thing, I guess, um, part of it that I'm most passionate about is, you know, we've got recruited a really good group of people and retained some awesome people at the Free Jacks. We're really excited about where this group's going to go. It's probably going to take us a little while to get up and going. We've, we've got a lot of new players. Um, oh. I've had a re real big focus on uh, the quality of our domestic roster. We know that's the key to long-term sustainability. And um, yeah, mate, it's, gonna, it's really exciting to see where we could potentially take this team. And um, uh, we would just want to live up to the Boston sports culture, which is um, you know, the de winning is in the DNA here. So we're under no illusions that people won't be happy unless we win something this year. So several months ago, the Free Jacks had a special dinner event for founding members such as myself. And uh, later on in that evening, there was a panel discussion. And I recall you specifically mentioning that Coach Matthew, I'll just say, it kind of sucks at table tennis. Do you stand by that? And is there anyone <laughs> in the organization now who can, you know, can, who you consider a real challenger? Um, last season, the top three, I'll say top four because I have a real connection with this guy. So the top three were definitely... Uh, myself, LaRue, Milan, and Bodine Walker. LaRue and Bodine are both left-handers, which is really difficult to deal with if you're not used to it from a table tennis perspective. Um, LaRue's injured at the moment. He's uh, broken his thumb on his right hand, so he's still able to play table tennis, but we haven't set the table up yet. Um, but yeah, Scott wouldn't be in the top 20, and it really breaks him because he's a super competitive person like me, and um, I'm actually not very talented at many things, but I used to have a table tennis table in my office and we used to probably commit two or three hours a day to playing. So that's kind of how I've got half decent at it. And um, it's one of those sports, much like a lot of other racket sports and stuff where if you've played a lot, you're actually quite a bit better than, than people who haven't played that much. So I have a lot of joy in telling Scott that he's very average at table tennis. <laughs> it got a good laugh that night, that's for sure. Not not from Scotty, I noticed. Uh... <laughs> So you already mentioned kind of making the adjustment from living in New Zealand to living in the United States. I'm just curious, um, what has been your biggest, you know, surprise or adjustment that you've had to make from moving here? Um, definitely the biggest, well, there's two things. One, the weather last winter was ridiculous. Like we had lots of snow with the big snowstorm. We got home from DC one night. I had like my whole car was almost covered in snow. The guy at the apartment handed me a shovel took me over an hour to dig it out because it was going to rain that night and he was concerned that it was going to freeze over. That's probably the initial um, shock to the system. <laughs> uh, the second adjustment is is definitely around the um, diversity of the country, culturally, geographically, like I mentioned. Um, I've traveled to the States before, but never been to a lot of, I've been to New York, Hawaii, Chicago, uh, California, but I've never been to you know, places like Texas to New Orleans, like things are very mm. different there. And, and it's actually really cool to see like the, the vastness of Texas and the size of the cities and the differences in the people there. Mate, that's like, that's virtually a, a country in its own right. So um, but it's definitely been a, an eye opener for me. And then I can understand the challenges around USA rugby in terms of being able to build, build programs here to make you know, rugby development meaningful people like I was talking to somebody in the UK today and he asked me is the is the US the world's 
sleeping giant for rugby and I said yeah they are but with all the challenges that we have the pro- it's probably going to be the giant's going to be asleep for a while like overcoming mm. the the distances that teams have to travel to play games and the lack of competition for a lot of really top club or university teams um mm. and we, we all know that to get better at rugby you need competition and you need to be competing against teams that are at the same level as you and that's just such a challenge in the US and I don't I don't see an easy fix for that um, which was definitely an eye opener. Um, yeah, it's funny because people that that phrase comes up so often. They, oh, is US is the United States the sleeping giant? And I always say maybe, but we keep hitting the snooze button, so we'll see. Yeah, and I think um, it's for reasons like you can't. Those some of those challenges are so difficult to overcome, and people just don't. If you haven't lived here, you don't understand the sheer vastness of the place. Like. You know, for one of our local club teams, they have to travel. The closest game they have is four and a half hours in a bus to get a good game of rugby, you know, and then they're looking at having to fly anywhere else to go and play against someone who's that's kind of at their level. Now, that's that, that's not ideal from a performance perspective or a development perspective. So I can see how things are, there's lots of roadblocks. So in your career, What's been, would you say, your biggest challenge as a coach? You know, that could be, it could be here, it could be in New Zealand, someplace I don't even know about. What is something that you found it, if not difficult, more difficult than you had thought to overcome? I've had lots of challenges, and I guess that's part of the part of the job description. Eh? So uh, one that comes to mind uh, initially is I coached both in the under-19s, was kind of my first foray into um like academy slash performance type rugby um having come out of like a club type system and you know the first year i coached them in 2015 was with corey sweeney then who's now the um, blackfield sevens head coach and i think we we finished 13th out of 16 teams in new zealand and probably deserved to finish well not deserved but we could have easily finished 16th and having been in, involved with amateur teams that have been successful that was really difficult to deal with and what I had learned really quickly is we had to be resourceful, we had to think on our feet, we had to be adaptable and create ways to compete with teams who had more resources than us and I think those lessons learned over that three or four year period with that team ended up winning a national title with a you know, with a squad that was certainly not as good as some of the teams that we beat and beat comprehensively mm-hmm. Um, it's really served me well because I've gone into environments now where generally we don't have all the stuff that other teams have, but that's actually not a barrier. Like there's ways around things in terms of um, creating good culture, getting really good buy and having a clear vision. And you only learn that stuff by um, not having things. So maybe that's a, that, 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 that'll be the starting point for me. And it's been great because it's helped me in every, everywhere that I've gone. And we'd always like more of everything, wouldn't we? Because we're all competitive, competitive people and we want to win, but the reality is you quite often don't have that. I've asked other people about this too, because as a fan, it appears to me, I don't guess I can't speak for more than just me, but one of the things that's fun about watching the Free Jacks is it seems like your game plan changes almost every single week. It seems like you and, and Scotty are kind of always thinking, okay, this is a specific opponent that has specific things that we want to target. It's never the same game plan twice in a row. Do you think that's fair to say? Oh, it is, but there's some things that we don't deviate too far from, and they're the effort things. So we're, now we're from New England. We're gritty people. 
um, people told me that before I got here and then I met some people that were from here and I understood real quickly about what this place is about. Like it's about working hard for each other. It's about the grind. It's about actually enjoying that process. And that's great because that's a, you know, a critical aspect to, to how a team operates. And then the creativity stuff's just the icing really. Like we have to get the recipe, I guess, for a really poor analogy, we have to have the recipe of the cake right first and be able to produce that every week. And then the little stuff that is the icing is really around a bit of creativity around some opportunities that teams are, are showing us with their film around their habits or you know, patterns of things or evolution of their game that we, we try and stay ahead of. But mate, there's no, for every one thing that comes off and looks great, which I get a thrill out of because I enjoy that stuff. There's probably two or three things that we try that just don't work. And um, we're having to reevaluate, you know, what we were actually seeing in terms of why we were trying to put those into the plan. But you're right, every week we're trying to evolve our game and you have to because if you stay in one place, other teams are going to overtake you pretty quickly. Hmm. Um, so back when you signed on with the Free Jacks, there was like a, a joint press release about you and Coach Matthew. I think it was... They, Maybe the signing was on the same day, or at least they announced it the same day. Um, and in that release, you were described as bringing, quote, holistic approach to player development, an infectious belief in a positive <laughs> culture, and an aptitude for developing work ethic. Those are great resume terms. But what do those things mean, you know, on a practical level, day in, day out? Um, I'm really fortunate to work with Scott. It's a very... Um, I'd say unique, but it's a very, um, oh man, it's a great, it's a great working relationship. And I don't really understand how that's come about because we both applied for the head coach job here. Scott, we were both down for the last two. Scott was the candidate who oh. was awarded the job. And, um, and I was really disappointed, as you can imagine. Um, he rang me you know, two days after uh, Tika let me know that I'd been unsuccessful with the job. We spoke on the phone for over an hour the first time. And at the end of that telephone conversation, he offered me the assistant coach role, which I accepted on the spot because I just knew that would work really well together. And um, and we definitely, we definitely do. So the first thing is, we, you know, we have a really good synergy, I guess is the right word for it. Um, and then in terms of why that's great for me is, you know, Scott said to me right from the beginning that, he wanted me to look after the environment or the culture of the team and and um I'm pretty creative with some of the things that we do and really proud of the culture that we've been able to create here. And so that's kind of the starting point for me is like always thinking about the environment. And so and we do crazy things like yesterday we had the team singing Tessie, the song by Dropkick Murphy's as a mini team challenge and made some great video of this stuff. It's just like next level, which is pretty cool considering the team's only been together for about five weeks that so we've got got to that mm -hmm. point already where they're prepared to sing and dance and carry on in front of each other um so that's kind of what the cultural aspect looks like on a day-to-day -day basis it's pretty creative um really big on theming so our, our theme for this year is the road to Fenway so our goal as a team is to play an MLR final at Fenway Park we believe that we can do that if we achieve two things one is obviously win enough games to qualify top and host the final and, and the flip side of that is to build our audience in New England to the point where we get to the end of the season and veterans is no longer a suitable venue, which we love veterans, but at the same time, it'd be pretty cool to be the first rugby team to play on Fenway and host yeah. a major league 
rugby final. So that's the vision, and we just build a lot of stuff out around that. So, and then in terms that. of the player development stuff, yeah, mate, it's it's cool. And we did a tour of Fenway a couple of Fridays ago. We had our theme launch it down in the Fenway area, and the players are just super motivated by it now. Whether that's even a possibility, given that the MLR final is during the baseball season, who knows? But it's great to hang our hat on something as a team that we know that we have to build audience. We build audience by how we conduct ourselves in the community. We build audience by playing well. Um, those things are long game propositions, but, but how awesome would that be? Because Fenway Park's you know, the most iconic sports venue and well, definitely in Boston, but perhaps even in the entire country. So, Well, I, I don't think it. you have to worry. I don't think you have to worry. Baseball, they play like what? Like three or four games a year? They hardly play at all. I don't think you have to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's not too many <laughs> scheduling issues. No, no, no. It's not like it's 162 ga- Oh, wait a sec. Yeah. Um, so that same press release, I, a press release I mentioned, also talked about how you were looking forward to developing rugby in New, uh, New England and the U.S. in general, particularly through working with the Free Jacks Academy. Um, can you tell us about that and maybe how it's been going? Uh, we're making some really good strides there and I take my hat off to Mags and the crew in terms of buying into this because the way that MLR is structured there's really not a lot of reward for actually developing local players like there's really small squad sizes pretty pretty um, constrained salary cap so there's actually not a lot of benefit in having a longer term view but um, Mags and the ownership group have been adamant that the Free Jacks is a vehicle to grow rugby in New England and, and obviously in the whole of the US. So we're totally on board with that and we've, we've done some really good things in the community. Um, we've got some really good young players coming through. Um, one of them who played for us on uh, Wednesday night against Houston, uh, Willis Goodwin, who's um, looking every every um, looking very much like he's a, an MLR player, which is fantastic. It's, the challenge is, is that as MLR matures, the quality of the players that are in our programs are getting better and better every year. And then the gap between the MLR team and players that are coming through college systems, high school, high school systems, and the club system is getting wider and wider. So I, I guess the challenge for us is to think about creative ways that we can be out there assisting those players to develop. And we have a whole a group of development players that come and train with us one or two days a week, which is really trying to bridge that gap for them. And I think we're, we're seeing some really good reward out of that. With you know, Cam Davidovitz is a great example, right? Like he's yeah. now fully, he's a he, he's the real deal in terms of being an MLR player. And two or three years ago, he was pretty much in the rugby wilderness. So there's plenty of talent out there. It's just how we try to accelerate their development because the, guys that we have in a full-time environment are getting better really quickly and like almost leaving the others behind a little bit. Cam, the mayor himself. Exactly. Yeah. yeah they're doing awesome. So when I was sending out the invite for this little talk, um, I noticed that your email address was from a place called insiderunning.com. So I looked it up real quick and discovered it's like a, a rugby recruitment agency or a service of some kind. Can you talk about that a bit? Um, so Inside Running is a business that I've uh, founded uh, with a good friend of mine, Kent Hale, in 2003. So almost uh, April 2003. So shit, that's almost 20 years ago now. And that um, originally started off as a recruitment business that um, we assisted New Zealand-based uh, 
club rugby players to play rugby internationally. So they went to you know, amateur clubs in the US, Canada, the UK. Uh, and it's peak year, which I think was 2008. Uh, we transferred 250 players around the world. Wow. All amateur players basically going for experience. Um, we then started a player agency. And then in 2010, we started an academy. Um, we sold the recruitment business and the player agency uh, with the, over the last five years. And we still own the academy, which is uh, based in Mount Maunganui, which has been like, kind of my um, pride and joy, I guess, is a great way of looking at it. And uh, we've got an awesome program uh, already through the, we've got, I don't know, there's about 100 rugby players at the program at the moment from about 15 different countries based in Mount Maunganui training full time. Uh, it's pretty awesome. And I guess that's the whole thing around the press release talking about my my passion and commitment and experience around player development is that's what I've basically done over the last 13 years is established a world-class program that people from all around the world want to come to. And um, yeah, mate, it's, it's actually, it's, it's really cool. COVID was obviously really Very bad cool. for us, but we're back up and running this year and it's, mate, it's pumping. Like we have a record year this year, which is um, pretty cool. Oh, that's excellent. Um, so switching gears, you, Recently, what just happened? Did my oh, there we go. That was a weird thing. Um, oh, that's funny. Sorry about that little glitch there. My computer just went completely haywire. In any event, um, just no recently, you got appointed to a position um, as coach for Manawatu, and I'm just wondering, you know, how did that come about? Um, great question. And basically how that's come about is the biggest challenge for me about being at the Free Jacks is being away from my kids and my partner. Um, so I share my kids 50-50 um, with my ex-wife, so one week on, one week off. Now that works really well for, for both of us when I'm based in Mount Maunganui for the six months that I'm not with the Free Jacks. Um, but it's super challenging for me and the kids and, and probably my ex-wife too, to be fair. Um, when I'm not there. And so that's definitely the hardest part of being here and doing this job. It's a great job, but and it's an awesome organization to work for, but it's in a different country. It's 16 or 18 hours flying from where I live, you know, so um, that, that's challenging. So um, yeah, there's been a couple of job opportunities come up that I've explored and um, yeah, we've been really fortunate enough that Manawatu and the NPC have asked me to take over as their head coach uh, which I'll commence full-time in July. So at the conclusion of the MLR season, uh, um, when they offered me that position, they wanted me effectively to start in January. And I just said, look, that wasn't possible. I'd made a commitment to Scott, TK, Mags, and the team, which I had to see out. And, and that's really important to me because they've been really supportive around my my situation with my kids and stuff around being able to get home and get them up here and you know, do all those things. So I'm indebted to the, to those people. Um, but this will be my last year with the Free Jacks, at least for the time being. Um, and so as I explained this to the team when I got back a couple of weeks ago, I was like, like I'm all in. I've got my chips on the table. I've pushed them into the middle. And um, this season's like the last, kind of like the last hand, right? So it's, we're going to make every post a winner. And... I'm super excited about that because I definitely think we've got a group that's capable of getting there. I have no doubt we're going to have some ups and downs, but it's going to be um, an awesome ride. Well, sticking with Manawatu, 
last season was a pretty grim one for Turbos fans. <laughs> what kind what kind of hope do you bring with you to that job? Oh, there's no doubt that uh, Manawatu Rugby has been going through a, a really tough time over the last few years and um, you know, losing 10 games last year in a row, conceding an average of 46 points, it's pretty ominous. Uh, but I think in talking to the players and, and my view on things, we just have to own that and we have to walk towards it a little bit. Like, we can't change what's happened, but we have to actually acknowledge that it has happened and it's not okay. Um, especially conceding so many points. Like, there's obviously some issues there that we need to resolve pretty quickly. But I'm really confident around the organisation. I'm confident around the young players that we've got coming through. We've got a number of young players who are serious contenders for the New Zealand under 20s this year. There's a good cohort of young players there. There's also some really experienced guys that are establishing themselves at super rugby level. I think we've got nine players playing MLR. You know, those guys are all going to come back into the fold. So it's not all doom and gloom, but what we really need to... Um, I guess focus on is we need to have a vision in terms of how we want to play. We need to be fully commit to that and go for it. We need to have a real strong vision around how we um, earn some respect back from our community. So in Māori, we talk about a, it's a word called mana, which doesn't have a very good literal translation to English, but in effect, it means respect bestowed on us from others. But it's um, it's a bit deeper than that and. And it's like really apt considering our name is Mana or two. Like we actually need to go and get that again and we can do that with lots of things, eh? So um there's, there's you know, a great it's an exciting challenge, it's gonna be a big one. There's a great um podcast called The History of the Aotearoa, and um they spend at least a couple of episodes just talking about that concept of mana and stuff. And I can see it's a, not a quick thing to explain. <laughs> oh, certainly not, and it's I guess the, the key thing about mana is is the whole principle that you cannot give it to yourself. You know, and that that that's logical, right? But I think when we when we get involved in like popular culture, a lot of popular culture is what stories we tell ourselves or others about how good we are. And um and the concept of mana that would be undermining your mana by talking about yourself like that. So and um, it's certainly something that sits really well with me in terms of you know, we need to earn some respect from others. They'll judge us based on our actions. They'll judge us on how hard we work on and off the field. They'll judge us by how much we you know, invest in our community and trying to have positive relationships with them. And that's um, an exciting challenge because there's a lot of people out there that are feeling really hurt by the fact that the team's been going so poorly. and. Mm. And maybe some things haven't haven't been working very well, but um, my thing is, I've been out there talking to people when I was back there a few weeks ago, and people just want to be heard. And I'm like, man, I can't fix everything, but we'll have a crack at fixing some of this stuff. And um, just judge me based on what I do. You know, not don't judge me on what I say because um, half the time people talk shit, don't they? So I'm trying to try not to do that. Only half? That's awfully nice. Uh, it's it's funny because my, my limited experience with Kiwis, getting them to talk about themselves at all is always a little difficult. I didn't realize how closely it was tied to this concept. That's really interesting. Oh, I think there's two parts to that. There's definitely some stoicism in New Zealand around, you know, like 
the last, I guess, 200 years around that type of stuff that, you know, it's pretty reserved culturally. And then there's the concept of mana that sits over and above that. And um, like you go to an All Blacks test match in New Zealand, you'd think that it would be like the most, you know, the crowd would just be phenomenal. And like, I've probably only experienced two All Blacks tests that I've been to where I've walked away from that and gone, man, that was a unbelievable like viewing experience and one of them was when we beat Australia at Eden Park by about 40, 40, 50 points. It was awesome. The whole crowd was into it. But half the time it's very polite, nice clapping and wow. you know, a lot of cheering and stuff. You know, it's very different to Veterans Memorial Stadium, that's for sure. <laughs> so I also saw that uh, Nihi Milner-Scudder is acting as interim coach while they await your arrival in July. So the obvious question for Free Jacks fans is, how can you bring yourself to work with that diabolical traitor who had the nerve to score on us to help us help knock us out of contention last season? Uh, we have had a couple of little chats about that. And um, like Scuds is a really good man. Uh, when you talk about that whole concept of mana, he epitomizes it. He's very um, deliberate, intentional around his language, his passion for things. He's not ever trying to put the spotlight on himself. Um, he's a great human being and it's a bit of a shame that he played for New York. Probably doesn't fit too well. Maybe that's why why he's no longer there, but um, maybe he would have been better in Free Jacks colors. Exactly. Well, that, that signing hurt. I've been a fan of his for a long time. <laughs> uh, so in, in all seriousness, as we've kind of been dancing around, I feel like we're very lucky that the NPC and the MLR so closely dovetail with one another, you know, season-wise, schedule-wise. Um, am I right that that timing leads to benefits for both leagues? Oh, it definitely does. And I think what we're seeing across the league is a lot more New Zealand players being signed. I think we had a... Um, like last year, I think we got our recruitment right. We signed some really good New Zealand players, and I think we had a bit of an advantage over other teams. And the other team that was really obvious who did the same thing was New York. And I think it's no surprise that we ended up in the top couple of two or three teams in the league. So um, credit to Marty and the crew there. They did a good job of their recruitment as well. Uh, but, you know, if you look at Carry Cup now, runs in the same window as MLR. So getting access to high quality South African players is more challenging. Um, you know, SLA runs at the same time as MLR, so getting high-quality South American players is more challenging. So it's really obvious that the New Zealand-Australian market are where the majority of the foreign players are going to come from. And um, I think that's great for New Zealand rugby, to be honest. We only have six super rugby teams, however many players that is, 200 or whatever across the country that are full-time professional. I think this year there's something like 120 um, New Zealand players in, in the MLR, which is... Yeah, you know, phenomenal when you when you think about it. I think it was about sixty or something last year. So it's big, been a big increase. Um, you know, that, I think that's really good for the game in New Zealand because the vast majority of those players will go back and play NPC, and with what they can earn in MLR and NPC, they can be full time all year round. And there's no doubt in my mind that with better coaching and infrastructure over here, those players are developing really quickly and. We've also already seen Super Rugby teams in New Zealand take a keen interest in what's happening in the MLR and they're looking at MLR players as they're, they're kind of, you know, they're actively encouraging players to play in the MLR now, whereas two years ago they probably thought it was a bit of a joke of a competition. Um, now it's got some serious cred credibility, which I think's um, got to be good for the league. Well, we need to get players from New Zealand because Canada, for instance, doesn't have any more. 
you know, all playing for the free jerks, aren't they? <laughs> uh, so we've already talked about the NPC a little bit. Last year, I loved watching the NPC. One of the things they did, as I'm sure you well know, is that they frequently put together double headers where the FPC would play a match, then the NPC would play a match. I know there's no current comparable structure to the Farrah Palmer Cup here in the United States, but we have some storied and very successful women's clubs. I'm thinking of teams like the like Beantown Rugby in Boston. Are there any discussions about setting up exhibitions prior to Major League Rugby games, you know, featuring some of these great clubs? And how good might that be for rugby in the U.S. in general? Um, I have a real affinity with women's rugby, having coached uh, the vast majority of my coaching in um, 2021 was in the women's game. So I coached the Chiefs women's team and then the Waikato FPC team. And we managed to uh, win the FPC for the first time and but no, no better experience than that. And I think having seen the seen those women in terms of their commitment to the game, the sacrifices that they have to make to play the game is phenomenal. The lack of, you know, publicity that they get it's kind of changed a little bit now after the world cup but but women's rugby is the biggest growth area for the sport and um like i think the free jacks as the free jacks have talked about we need to be at the forefront of that and that's a massive growth opportunity in terms of growing audience like it's actually a totally different audience i went to the black ferns versus australia game which is the world cup opener at eden park oh my gosh you were there people. oh Okay, awesome. I didn't manage to get to the I didn't manage to get to the final, but I was at the you know the opener of the World Cup, and the audience was totally different. It was actually the opposite of what I was saying before about New Zealand audience. It was mostly uh, young girls there cheering on the idols, and there were fifty thousand of them there. And it's just like I just hope for New Zealand rugby's sake that they've actually learned something from there and they understand that they can actually you know access a totally different audience and. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for that in, in MLR as well, because, you know, women's rugby is a totally different audience and oh, we need to embrace it. It's, there's some actually really interesting stuff about premiership soccer back in, you know, the early 1900s that women's games were getting just as big of crowds as men get, men's games were getting. I think it was before the First World War and, you know, the England, the England Football Association decided that they didn't really like that. So they're not professional women's rugby on the head. In the early 1900s now we're 100 years on maybe we've got to actually understand that there's a lot of people out there that are really interested in it and yeah. maybe we need to give it a go i mean i do i feel like those audiences were very different and now they're starting to become the same people which i think is fantastic yeah mate, i think so too and like we need to embrace the fact that uh, that rugby isn't always has been the game for all and it's really unique in that way and that's you know, gender, sexuality, you know, um, race, size, shape. And it really is one of the only games that everybody can play. So that's that what that's what makes it cool and makes coaching really, really fun because we've got a lot of diversity in our group in terms of where people are from and what type of experiences they've had. So I think that's what makes it um really awesome to be part of. So with our little starting 15, so-called, our so-called starting 15 segment, we're down to our final winger and our fullback. Um, for our winger, what team in Major League Rugby do you think improved the most 
over this off season, I have this theory and you already mentioned them as well. Um, the influx of Argentinian coaches. I mean, Mario Ledesma doesn't get much bigger than that. The players in Dallas, I, I feel like that's going to make a huge difference for that franchise. Um, am I on the right track? Is there another team that I should be worried about compared to last season? Um, I think Dallas will improve, but they had to. So we have to be, we have to be, you know, and, and that's not being disrespectful to how they were going either. It's just, you know, they really struggled last year and that's actually not good for them or the league. And so, you know, we all want them to be much stronger and they definitely are. Just watch the, like the preseason game that they played against Nola and they're a much better side. They scored three or four tries against Nola, who I think are the other most improved team. Um, Interesting. They've got, you know, they've recruited really well. Uh, you know, they've definitely changed the way that they want to go about the game a little bit more, uh, kicking and instead of running from everywhere and um, very, very, very combative. And that, they'll be really difficult to beat down there. It's a, a tricky place to go and play with the climate and the, the travel distance and stuff. So that'll be the Nola would be the team that I'd be saying uh, will be uh, significantly better, um, and obviously Dallas as well. And I and I think the the one that's going to be most fascinating is Chicago. Like, what a great opportunity mm -hmm. to get into the league with two teams leaving. They did. There's a very smart play by them to jump in a year earlier than what they wanted to, and. Um, mm. And they've benefited from that, and they've been able to pick up a competitive roster from day one. Um, and Sam Harris, obviously, a really good coach. So um, it's going to be yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they go. And I think they're going to be a lot better than people think they're going to be. It's funny because you mentioned it's not good for the league to have a team struggling as mightily as Dallas did last year. I just I hadn't really thought about it that way. In the NFL for years, they've been tweaking things to in the interest of parity. They are always talking about parity. Is is that something that they talk about in MLR? Well, the salary cap would make you think that there should be parity. But we all know that, well, not perhaps. We all know that that definitely hasn't been the case, you know. So the situa situation with LA and Austin, I think, was good with, for the league in some respects and that they attracted a lot of high-level players with big profile. That's probably given the league a little bit of credibility. On the flip side, teams getting kicked out leading into the playoffs is really bad for its credibility and and also it makes you question whether you know, the Giltini should have their name on the shield for the year that they were clearly cheating. And I think we're just—I'm just sick of people beating around the bush about that because they were—they weren't just cheating; like they were miles over. And everybody knows, and everybody always knew, and it was kind of a bit of a running joke. And um, you know, so it's really good that that, that situation has been dealt with. Um, but parity is really important because then it, it leads. What parity leads to is people investing money in the right places, which is the development of our own players from our own region, as opposed to buying a team. You know, and that model just doesn't work for the long term sustainability of of any team. It doesn't. It's not achieving any of the objectives that are really important for rugby in the, in the US. And so, having a real level playing field um, you know, should should enable the US to the national team to be significantly better in 10 years' time. Um, and like I said, thankfully, LA and Austin are no longer part of it. When when that went down and both those teams got kicked out very late, there was a lot of talk about, oh, 
Adam Gilchrist, he's this high-powered, rich guy. There's going to be repercussions. He's going to come after the league. And then he fell off the face of the earth. Have we heard the last of this whole thing? Is there going to be another chapter in that whole, you know, I guess, scandal? Oh, look, to be honest, I try not to get myself too caught up in that. My job's to you know, prepare a rugby team to compete and win games of rugby. So, um, like, I, I'm actually really, in some ways, thankful to Adam Gilchrist. We got to play at the Coliseum. Mm. Definitely the best stadium that I've ever coached a team at. And um, a phenomenal experience. Um, you know, LA's an awesome city, and it's really good for the league that we have. A, we get another team back in, in LA. That is a real strong history of rugby in uh, Southern California. So in some respects, like he wasn't good for it, but in some ways he was. I hope he's been a little, little bit of a shining light for other people that might take a bit of an interest down there. I don't know whether the saga is over. I think it probably is because we haven't heard anything um, when you're that far off in terms of what you should be doing. Pretty difficult to um, present the case, I would have thought. Um, but I'm appreciative of the gilly uh, lager that was in my hotel uh, fridge, and appreciative for the opportunity. To play at, appreciative to the opportunity to play at the Coliseum. Oh, do you have any more of those un unopened? <laughs> but they weren't very good to be fair. But it was quite a nice touch to have a couple of beers in your fridge at your hotel in your hotel room. So, you know, wow. the, yeah, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, Okay, uh, I I really appreciate your time. I'm going to let you go. I've got our final question, and it's a pretty light one. Um, give me a player or two on this this new look Free Jacks that we're all excited to see, who you believe is going to quickly become a fan favorite. I mean, we, obviously, we love all our Free Jacks players, but who is someone whose you know personality do you see catching on this year? Well, there's actually lots, and we're really intentional around our recruitment of people but rather than so it's people first and then they have to match obviously the rugby requirements so I think on field um two players spring to mind Tani Alafilimone who um plays on the right wing or center um he's an he he's a super rugby player really like he's had a tough year with injury with Mano too otherwise he'd be playing super rugby right now he's a phenomenal talent and um, he's electrifying, so that's really exciting. The other one who's a bit, you know, probably at the, at the other end of the spectrum is Jason Potros, who's a bit older, very astute game manager, um, looks just about as old as me, and um, I think he'll he'll be a bit of a um, crowd favourite as well because he's he doesn't fit the bill of the rest of the Free Jacks team, which is pretty young. So that that's I think. Um, yeah, that, that's going to be something that people can really attach to because you know, he's got a ball here. He's bald here. He's recently had a baby. Um, life's, he's at a different stage of his life to most of the rest of the group, and, that, and that's cool. Um, and then the, I think the characters of the team, Joel Hintz is very, very unique. He's a bundle of laughs. I'm not sure whether you see, saw the groundhog skit that, that he did. And wow. that, that thing went viral. And... Um, Mate, he's he's really really funny and he's a great guy to have in your environment. So he's he's definitely one that's gonna he's gonna be a contender with the eagle for the most social media views. That's for sure. Wow, yeah, he was on uh, the Jacks Rangers show and he's you could instantly tell what a goofy is. 
the comparison of his team photo versus what the guy's like, I love the difference there too. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I don't I didn't actually listen to that with the with the Jacks Rangers, but he he spent um, last summer working in Australia catching crocodiles, and that's not bullshit, but that's for real. And um, that kind of sums him up as a person. He's, mate, he's out there. He, he's great fun. Crocodiles aren't going to catch themselves. <laughs> uh, okay. That was fantastic. Mike Rogers, thank you so much for your time and insights. I, I got to say, I, I'm a little stunned and uh, really sad to hear that this is your last season with us for uh, at least for a while um we're, we'll have to replace more than just a table tennis player it sounds like um will you come back at some point maybe mid-season or something to just uh, do a check-in or at least check in on super rugby Matt, I, I really appreciate your work um really love the podcast keep up the good work more than happy to uh, two things. I'm definitely trying to arrange <clears throat> as part of my deal with Manu or two to have a partnership with the Free Jack so I can come back to Boston a couple of times a year would be cool and mate, more than happy to be your New Zealand correspondent on the pod and um, share some stuff that's happening over there. Uh, not sure how, how insightful it'll be but I'll do my best. Well, obviously, you know, a founding member and a super fan for the Free Jacks. Um, I'm there every weekend. But the first club I ever started actually following and watching sort of religiously was the Highlanders in Super Rugby. Um, they didn't have a great year last year. I'm seeing really bad stories about, oh, they're going to be at the bottom this year. Do you have any piece of hope you can hand to me just before next, or I guess uh, two weeks from now when they get kicked off again? I know Aaron Smith's leaving. That, that one was a gut punch. I do have two glimmers of hope for you. Um, the first one is a good friend of mine, Dave Dillon, is now the defence coach at the Highlanders, top oh. man, um, and I'm sure he's going to make a big difference. And then a coach that I respect uh, immensely is joining the, their programme, and I don't actually know if this is public knowledge, so we might have to cut this out if it's not, but um, is... Um, joining their program in 2024, which is Kenny Lynn, who's currently at Lyon. Um, he's a fantastic coach, a guy that I've learned so much from, and and mate, he'll 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 make a huge difference to the um, to the Highlanders. So there is a couple of glimmers of hope for you there. They're also a very young roster. I think they'll mature over the next couple of years, and I think we will see a changing of the guard with a lot of Crusaders players retiring, Razor leaving there. A lot of blues players coming towards the end of their, of their careers as well, and I think maybe it might be the um, Chiefs, Hurricanes, and Highlanders that we might see a little bit of a shift in the in the power base of New Zealand Super Rugby, which would which would be great because I'm a Chiefs fan, and I'm now coaching in the Hurricanes region, so maybe I'm a dollar each way on those two on those two clubs. I love it. But last year, actually, there was a game where. Um... Terrell Paita was out in, just in the stands, you know, getting a, a, a beer beforehand and stuff. And I, and he saw me wearing my Highlanders jersey and we chatted for a little while. And both of us were like, it's the Blues this year. It's the Blues. No, it's always the Crusaders. That's never the year of the Blues. Let's face it, perennial underachievers. Um, yeah, it's, they might prove me wrong this year, but it'd be pretty hard to go past the Crusaders. But I do think that the tide's starting to turn on that stuff. And um, I'm hoping that it's the year of the Chiefs. 
I mean, Gatlin's gone. It seemed like every every all the momentum they had just disappeared when Gatlin came. That, that was the weirdest thing. <laughs> I won't comment on that. <laughs> okay, we should probably stop comment. Okay. Mike Rogers, thank you again so much. I really appreciate your time and all, all that you've brought to the table. I really, I feel like I learned a ton and it was just super fun to actually get a chance to talk. I will be seeing you in Fort Quincy in just a few weeks. Cannot wait. Good luck to the guys and yourself this weekend uh, down in NOLA. I know you've already said they're much improved. It's not going to be easy, but we have a lot of faith and we believe in our free jacks. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time and um Thanks for not asking me to do a very poor Boston accent. Boston. <laughs> you can stop right there. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it. Okay, my friends, as you know, this is in fact a two-part bonus episode. And now we're very happy to sit down and chat with Mr. Jason Potras, former Taranaki Bull, and now fly half for my beloved New England Free Jacks. Jason, welcome to the show, and how the heck are you? Or perhaps I should ask, how's the baby doing? Um, no, I'm really good, good mate. Um, thanks for having me on your show. Um, look forward to having a good chat. Um, our little girl, Miller's doing awesome. She's um, coming up nine weeks old, so we're um, adjusted to life here in Boston, and we're enjoying it so far. That's excellent. Um, I got to ask you, are you worried at all that if your child learns how to talk here in the United States, she's going to, whenever she tries to speak with a Kiwi accent, she's going to actually accidentally sound Australian like all Americans? Um, I'm not too worried. Um, I'm Kiwi and uh, her mum's um, Scottish, so um, I presume she'll have a Kiwi accent, but yeah, she might have a Scottish, who knows? <laughs> uh so again, Jason, welcome obviously to the United States, the Free Jacks. How's everything been, uh, been going so far? You haven't even been here for that long, is that right? Nah, so I think I've been here coming up four weeks. Um, nah, it's been good, mate. Really enjoyed it. Um, weather, it's been a little bit cold, but not too bad. So um, we've managed to get out and about as a family and do a bit of exploring around Boston. And um, we're all pretty settled in now. And TK and the the Free Jacks have made it pretty um, easy for us to settle in. So very thankful for them. This is literally the warmest February I can ever remember. So <laughs> hopefully it continues. Yeah. Well, tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be amazing tomorrow. Yeah. It tops yeah. off tomorrow. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> so whenever I have a new guest on the show, I'm always I always make sure to do some seriously half-assed research. Uh, in your case, I, I did already know that you played for Taranaki, but I also found out you played for a club called Tupaca, which des is described as the largest rugby club in Taranaki. Um, if you go to the Tupaca Rugby and Sports Club homepage, you'll immediately see the phrase, the home of the cast iron chicken. What on earth is that about? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a long story. Um, it goes way before my time. Um, I think it was a bit of a trip they went on and... Um, I think they got served some some chooks and then yeah, next thing you know, we're called the cast iron chicken or the chooks. Um, no, it's a, it's a great club too, Gopher. Um, they did a lot for me in my 10 years there. So um, look forward to one day getting back there and playing for them. So yeah. 
Nice. So I actually did look it up and discovered that it's in fact a song that the club yeah. sings as well. I, I was actually trying to trick you into singing it without thinking about it, but. <laughs> uh, I, I, no, nah, it only comes out on special occasions. Um, I prefer to have a crowd singing with me instead of doing a solo. Mm. <laughs> um, so in the official press relief, uh, release uh, announcing your signing, and elsewhere, frankly, like just among fans, your name is always getting tied to Bodine Waka. You've been widely touted as, you know, quote, Bodine's replacement, unquote. I'm just wondering, like, how do you feel about that? On, on one hand, it's, it's on, you know, got to be some pressure because of what BW did while he was here. On the other hand, you're your own player with your own skills. I'm sure you'd like your game to speak for itself without being compared to somebody else. You know, what do you think when you hear that? Um, oh, it's all good, mate. Like, it's just part and parcel of the sport, eh? Like, um, obviously, what Wax did for the the Free Jacks and the community was pretty special last year, and um, you've got to acknowledge that he's a heck of a player and deserves all the accolades he gets. But yeah, my job's to come in and play my game, and um, obviously, it's it's a different team this year, and the coaches have um, challenged me to to be myself and bring my own skill set. So. Um, that's all I can do, mate. You know, I just got to work hard and end of the day, um, enjoy my footy and enjoy putting that Free Jacks jersey on and, and hopefully the fans can get behind me and, um, yeah, just hopefully we get some wins too for them. Oh, yeah, we'll be behind you, that's for sure. I'll be one of the people there uh, shouting and stomping at Fort Quincy, as we call it, and everything. Yeah. Um, I did notice one apt comparison with Hune Bodine, though, um, which is simply you cut your teeth at fullback and then sort of transitioned to fly half. Like, so have you now sort of found your ideal position? Do you ever miss playing at 15? Um, no, I don't miss it. Actually, there's a lot more running back there. Um, <laughs> I, I, um, I quite enjoy um, being at first five or the fly half position. Um, just a bit more involved. And I guess being a bit older, it's, it's probably a bit easier on the body too. Um, not having all those big... Um, kilometers on the on the legs and games so now i'm enjoying the transition i've been playing there i played there all my life but just that um for taranaki i come on the scene as a 15 and um just finally got my opportunity a few years back at 10 and just making sure that i, I keep growing my game and challenging myself to get better each day so that's going well so your life has obviously had a lot of new developments lately a new baby a new team an entirely new country i mean among other things what would you say has been your biggest challenge making all these transitions in such a short time? Um, oh, biggest challenge. Obviously, having my daughter and uh, losing a lot of sleep has been a challenge and um, turning each, up each day and having the train. But other than that, it's, it's been quite it's been quite easy actually. My partner's um, she's awesome. Like she obviously does a lot of the heavy lifting during the day with our young one. So. Um, makes it quite easy knowing that um, when I'm at trainings and that that our little daughter is very well looked after. And um, so I just do my best, mate, when I get home to be a dad and leave the footy at, at work. So that's sort of my, my balance at the moment. And it's been good. It's, um, it's been an awesome experience. And yeah, it's, it's great. Well, in an emergency, you could always just leave the baby with Woogie and let Woogie take care. <laughs> oh, wait, that might not work. Yeah, yeah, I haven't, I haven't <laughs> met him yet. I look forward to it, actually. Um, it's, yeah, cool. I, I brought my son six now. I brought him to one yeah. Free Jacks game. So when he was maybe four and a half, and Woogie scared the crap out of him. <laughs> <laughs> so 
he hasn't wanted to go back yet. I'm like, damn it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he, he's a big fella by the looks. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's funny. This is not rugby related. It's just dad related, I guess. Um, you, I'm sure you remember like the whole time when you're pregnant and you're waiting for the baby, anytime you meet, in my experience, a man, they always go, oh, catch up on your sleep. Catch up on your sleep, buddy. Oh, got to catch up on that sleep. And the whole time people are saying this to me, I was like, you can't bank sleep. I can't be like, well, I want to stay up for a day in a couple of days. So I'll just sleep 14 hours tonight. It doesn't work yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah. But everyone says it and everyone says it. And eventually they like indoctrinate you into this dumb phrase. And so uh, I was at this event with my partner and this, this guy comes over and says, oh, you know, I understand you're having a baby. And I was like, yeah, I know. I know. Catch up on my sleep now. And he goes, well, I mean, it's a fact that you're going to be tired, but at the mm. same time, like the moments that make you tired, there's waking up in the middle of the night to be with them. Like I wouldn't change those moments in for anything. Those are some of the best moments I've ever had. So I just, I thought that was really nice. I was like, I've been waiting for somebody to tell me that. All the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's um, no man. She's a roller coaster in that. You sort of just got to get, got to get on with it really. It's all um, part and parcel of um, being a, a good father is just, um, making sure you're always there for your, your kid and your, mm -hmm. your partner, especially, you know, they need all the help as well. So back to our actual topic, the new season of Major League Rugby starts in just two days. Actually, that's going to be tomorrow. This episode will drop on Thursday. Yeah. Um, so describe your level of excitement to get started. You know, you're this close to getting the season kicked off. Yeah, man. Um, no, really excited, actually. I haven't been this excited to play a, a game in a while. I haven't played for about six six or seven months, so um, definitely looking forward to actually getting on the field and, um, I guess, tackling and hitting some opposition players instead of instead of our own. Um, it's been a great preseason, even though I turned up a little bit later, but um, the boys have worked really hard, and I guess we're just looking to get on the field now and just put it together and, um, yeah, get on with it. Well, we were very excited to see you there. Um, in the in the press release that the Free Jacks put out announcing your signing, one of the things that jumped out at me oh, was this quote from TK. He said, Jason has an awesome story in becoming a professional rugby player, somewhat unconventional in this day and age as he's a true one-club professional. Um, can you talk about that a bit? Like, do you consider your own story to be unconventional? Um, yeah, I'm not too sure, mate. Um, I guess I was... A I played um, like footy all my life and um, I played, made some pretty good teams when I was a young fella at school, but then you know, I had a few injuries and um, sort of, I played a bit of club rugby, but I sort of took a backward step, I guess, to being, trying to become a, a semi-professional footy player. And I concentrated on getting my building trade. So I'm a qualified builder. So I went down that path. And then I guess when I was about 25 and I thought, oh, had a little bit of regret in my mind that I didn't really give footy a good crack. So I, I decided that I'd knuckle down and have a big off season and um, really, I guess, give it one last good push. And um, thankfully enough, it, it worked and I got my opportunity for Taranaki. And um, yeah, I guess I, I haven't really looked back. I've just sort of realised that it's, we're quite privileged to be in a position to um, be a professional athlete and get paid to, to do it for a job, which is, um, it's quite nice, you know, it's a lot easier than being on the building site for 44 hours a week, grinding away. <laughs> um, so I'm 
I'm very, very lucky to be in a position I am, and I don't definitely don't take it for granted. And obviously, I've been pretty loyal to Taranaki. I think I played six seasons with them, um, and I enjoy all my games I've played there. And I'm, I'm heading back after this season to go back and play for them. So it'll be another special um, season with them. And my club team, two copper. So I've been there for a, a few years now. I think I've I've played over 100 Premier games for them. So, um, yeah, I've been pretty loyal to those two teams and they mean a lot to me. But um, obviously it was a good time for a change to challenge myself outside of my comfort zone, come all the way over here. And um, yeah, I look forward to starting a new chapter in my rugby career for the Freejacks and um, hopefully I can do my best and um, give, give all I've got for the Freejacks and the community and the fans. It's nice the way the MLR and the NPC seasons kind of directly abut each other, so you can have that opportunity to do both. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, no, it's um, yeah, we're very lucky to be able to to play, I guess, nineteen months of the season all year round. So um, it's it's good it lines up, and um, I'm looking forward to, uh, I guess, I'm looking forward to the most uh, seeing the different styles. Um, you hear a lot of people saying NPCs faster, MLR, I guess, is a bit more physical. Um, but until I've played it myself, you know, I was sort of, I won't expect um, one or the other. I, I expect it just to be footy and every game of footy you play is always hard. So um, just got to prepare mm. for, for all sorts really. And until I've played, I can give a fair judgment, but yeah. So you played with Jesse Peretti last year, is that right? Yep, yep. I've played with Jesse for numerous years, actually. I've known Jesse for about, Oh, a long time, 10, 15 years. He's a, um, he's a good man, Jess. I've got a lot of time for Yeah, him. yeah. We love him. We, we all miss him here, for sure. Yeah, yeah. He, um, yeah, it would have been good having him back, um, to obviously, um, to get on with. But, yeah, I wasn't meant to be, but that's all good. He's, um, he played well for Taranaki last season, so I'm not, not too sure what his rugby is at, where he's at at the moment. So having played for mostly the same organization for so long, you, I mean, you must have a million stories from all those games, all that training. You know, what are some of your highlights just with the Bulls? Um, for the Bulls, man, there's, there's been a lot. Um, I guess, obviously, the biggest highlight is wearing the, the colors for the first time, the, the black and yellow hoops. Um, as a young boy watching all your your idols playing for the home province. It was, a, it was always a goal of mine to, to one day get that feeling. So that was obviously a, a very special moment. Um, I played in some Rampley Shield games, um, which has been awesome. I've helped defend it. Also, I've, we've, I've been in teams that we've lost, so they probably weren't so, so great. But um, uh, 2021 was awesome. We went unbeaten. Um, I think we won 10 games uh, in a row or 11 games, I'm not too sure, but that was a great experience. Um, but I guess the, the main thing is just all the, the players. Um, a lot of the players from back home, we've known each other pretty much our whole life, so it's pretty cool to, to play with all your good mates and your schoolmates and guys that have gone to other schools. But um, no, it's, 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 it's a special place to play footy down there. The Rand Furley Shield is such a cool thing. It just adds such an extra layer to the, to the NPC. I love that. I wish there was, an, you know, an equivalent kind of 
thing in in major league, uh, major league rugby we haven't found anything like that yet yeah oh mate it's uh, um if you ever have a Radcliffe Shield um, uh, opportunity to play in, like it's a, it's a different week. There's a, a lot more edge and there's a, a lot more excitement. Um, it's a special thing that brings out some um, special, I guess, um, team performances. Like yeah, everyone sort of gets up that little bit more once when the Shield's on the line. So um, nah, yeah, it, it, feels, very, it feels like it's good cool. for the players and the fans too. Yeah, it's a it's a great thing, and especially um, for Taranaki when we won it, it's been awesome for the community. Like the fans really love it, and um, you know we have when we won it, we've had parades and celebrated it with people. Like it's a it's a very unique and awesome thing. The shield it definitely brings a lot of excitement to the smaller communities and also the the big the big towns. Um, it, it does a lot for New Zealand rugby actually. So. You can probably already tell I'm a big fan of the NPC. Um, I recall last year there were some pretty scary times in Taranaki with with flooding in particular, um, a lot of games being moved, a lot of upheaval for families. Can you tell us what that was like, you know, trying to just stay focused and remain consistent through such a, a time of upheaval and uncertainty? Yeah, I, I, I don't recall any flooding um, in Taranaki, but um, I guess we've had our Best year of challenges in terms of our main Grand Euro Stadium um, hasn't quite been it needed earthquake strengthening, so we haven't really had our home base or our home field in New Plymouth for the last four or five years. We've been sort of played a bit outside the, um, the main city, so like 15 minutes, not not a big drive, but it's not the, um, the same as Euro Stadium. We played a few games at Cookie Park, which was it's a very famous cricket ground. It was a, an awesome experience. But um, last year, we finally got back on the Arrow Stadium. Um, and it's, it's nice to be back, I guess, in the home of Taranaki Rugby, back at our, our brilliant ground that um, there's been a lot of special memories on from past teams and players there. It's nice to, to finally be back. It's funny because you just nailed my very next question, which was I remember watching y'all play at Pukikara Park uh, yeah. Kura Park, I guess. Um, that has to be the coolest rugby field I've ever seen. Was that a totally unique experience for you? Yeah, yeah. So our first game was 2021. We played um, Hawks Bay there. And um, man, I've never played in an atmosphere like that. Like it's, I think there's only, there's about 5,000 there, but it was just so compact and like so loud that, um, it was yeah, it was an awesome experience, and obviously we won that first game of the year. It was pretty um, it was a it was a an experience I'll never forget. I guess you know um, I think it had been a very long time since rugby had been played there for Taranaki. I can't actually remember the how many mm-hmm. years, but um, that no, was good. And we actually played a couple of games there this year, um, which was awesome. But unfortunately, the 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 weather wasn't the greatest. So um, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> The stands cut right into the hillside and there's yeah, just, yeah. oh, it's, it's so beautiful. And, you know, when you're just sitting, when you're sitting at home, nice and warm watching, the rain makes it even cooler somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's always the way. Eh? It's always nice in front of the fire in the warm. So two questions for you, sort of two sides of the same coin, so to speak. Yeah. You know, when you're looking ahead to, you know, now through July, the end of the MLR season, 
what do you foresee sort of being your biggest challenge? Um, I know the, the travel, the sheer size of the United States is a bit of a shock for New Zealanders. Is that something you've talked about with the team already? Um, yeah, we, um, we went down to Houston for a, a five-day camp just recently. And um, like around New Zealand, you're sort of on a flight for about an hour, hour and a half roughly, but um, two on a two and a half hour flights and it was a it was a big day of traveling that I wasn't quite used to but um yeah I guess oh I don't know mate I guess you just gotta get on with it don't you like um everyone's everyone's got to do it so I think um you just sort of prepare mentally that it might be a bit of a, a tough yakker on the planes or different time zones but um god at the end of the day yeah you, you get on the 40 field day you've you got no excuses you just gotta get on with it and mm. yeah yeah i think that that seattle flight is going to be whew, that's a long one yeah yeah I've, I've heard that um it sounds a long day but um i'm sure tk's worked as magic and will look after us and uh yeah we'll just we'll get on with it actually so it's funny um uh, i'm getting confused so i don't think it was last season but it must have been the season before where bodine his uh waikato team won yeah. and that the NBC was still in the sort of two divisions I guess there was the championship and did they call it a premiership or what was yeah the... yeah yeah so at the when those two matches were going to happen they're going to be on the same day and so just out of curiosity I went on google maps and looked and I was like you could go see the first one get in your car and drive to the second one and yeah. you might not see the, you might not be there in the first half, but you could see the second half. How awesome would that have been? I wonder if any fans did that. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I think more about, so we're three hours from Hamilton Drive, um, Taranaki to Hamilton. So um, it's it's not too far, actually. It's quite good to, to get around New Zealand. So the other side of that coin is obviously, you know, what are you most looking forward to this year as a player? Um. Most, I guess, uh, game, yeah, um, I guess met all my teammates, like, um, finally getting on the field with them and earning their respect, um, and having some good times, you know, like, um, we're all pretty lucky to be in the situation we are, so, I guess if we make the most of it and, and work hard collectively as a group, along with the coaches now, I'm sure that we can, um, achieve something pretty special but um i guess yeah we've, we've got to earn it and and i understand that last year the boys did um really well and they made the semis but um i guess if, talking to them they're still very very gutted they didn't go all the way so as the new boys coming in it's um our job to continue what they did the previous year but most importantly make sure we add some value and um help them get to the next level um you know the the end goal is obviously to win the competition but it's uh rugby it's, you've just got to hunt small wins i guess the whole way and just um chip away at it and you, you don't want to get too distracted by the, the end result you just got to enjoy what you're doing and the rest of it will take care of itself so yeah i guess just getting on the field for the boys and um, earning their respect is what i'm really looking forward to so jason you are fantastic. I very much appreciate your time and your insights. Um, I can't wait to see you in person at Fort Quincy. Yeah. Um, before before I let you go, I saw on your profile that you're a basketball fan. And so I'm wondering, have you made it to a Celtics game yet by any chance? 
No, I haven't actually. Um, I, I went to one over in Houston, so um, that was a good experience. But um, no, it's it's. I'll get around to it. I guess I'm just trying to uh, work around the the little one and the the partner. So um, no, I'm sure she'll. We'll work it out. Hopefully, in the next week or so, we'll manage to to get to a game. Um, yeah, they're going awesome, so it'll be good to get there. Nathan Patras, proud Free Jack and proud father. Thank you again. I hope to catch up again, maybe sometime mid-season, if that's all right. Yeah, mate, no worries. Just um, give us a bell and I'll look forward to having another chat. Um, thanks for having me on your show. It's, it's been great. Lovely. Thank you again, my friend. Cheers. Talk to you soon. Have a great season. Good luck and all the best to you. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Take care.